When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. That's right, folks. It is once again time to clock into another session of the Severance Media Club here on Post Show Recaps, where once every month we are getting together to talk about severance and severance-related media while we still await word on Season 2. We have polls open for you to decide upon what we are going to be talking about each month, you can go to posterrecaps.com slash MDR to make those choices, send in feedback to us, asking us questions about severance, brains, clones, anything else you want to do by going to posterrecaps.com slash MDR. That's posterrecaps.com slash MDR. I'm Josh Wiggler. And for this month's meeting of the Media Data Refinement Division, we are doing books. We read a book. We read the manual this time for the Severance. Uh, Melissa, is this a Severance Manual Club? Uh, yeah. So, gosh, I feel like there's a better pun. Can we there. call this a manual? I, it's like a pretty short book, so it's kind of manual. Although I don't know that there's much like instruction in here. It's more of like a what not to do i'm amanda yeah. oh uh-huh. hi. can you yeah. hear me can you hear me out of my elbow joint that oh. i speak from oh we can we can hear tur- you with my turtle with my giant turtle armor on dr amanda has shown yeah. up to the podcast head to toe clad in space turtle armor <laughs> um t- melissa how about this tired goats and clones wired space turtle armor is that where we are at at this point? Yeah, I to be honest, I never got past the poop mountain, so that's uh-huh. like Yeah. Yeah, there were there were several WTF baby goat style moments in this book, the the Lathe of Heaven that we read, but this was of I thought this was a very lovely change of pace for the media club to mm-hmm. cover some literary material, um, which is a yes. form of media. Does this feel like uh, we're putting the refinement uh, in media data refinement, the refined uh, data uh, here as we're reading uh, The Lace of Heaven by the late, great Ursula K. Le Guin uh, is the book that we chose for this month. Uh, it was a tie decision, and the three of us decided upon the shorter, better-reviewed book uh, was the option. <laughs> and considering that we our messages to each other, like I have thirty pages left, I have fifty pages. Like I'm glad we went for the short one. I don't yes. think we would have guessed. It is September twenty second uh, as I am recording this, and uh, I believe it was September twenty first. Uh, I sent the message. Y'all good? Like, everyone's good, right? Because, like, I got, like, 80 pages left. You were both like, yeah, we're good. I'm like, I'm going to power read 80 pages now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got done. It was down well, to the wire. I think I had 150 left as of Tuesday. So I was yes. doing a pretty similar track, yeah. But I was reading slow, too. And then I think, like, once once I really sat down with it, uh, those, those final 80 pages breezed <laughs> through. Uh, I don't know how much I fully gleaned from them. But then again, Amanda, I would say I don't know exactly how much I would fully glean from them, even if I was reading rather slow, because so much happens. It is a very surreal book, an extraordinarily well-written book, uh, I think. I really, really enjoyed reading it. 
And I do think that there are some really compelling severance tie-ins to talk about with the Lathe of Heaven. Um, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, beautifully written book, uh, thematically extremely dense, uh, narratively quite challenging with, um, you know, versions of reality shifting and the reader being like somewhat uh, at sea with discovering, you know, what is real and how things are changing in time. The timeline is not quite linear. Um, but, um, you know, I don't read a lot of this kind of science fiction. And I was like, oh, that's a doozy. Like, I feel like we could come back every week and continue to talk about the lathe of heaven with just everything that uh, that Ursula Kaligan gets into in here. Yeah, I felt very strongly reading this uh, that like I badly want the HBO limited series version of this book. Like this feels like this should be uh, like leftovers, Watchmen style, fits very comfortably mm -hmm. alongside the Station Ooh. 11s of the yeah. world. Maybe more relevantly, an Apple TV Plus show uh, could be an Apple TV limited series, The Lathe of Heaven. Uh, I, I guess there have been adaptations of this, but are, have they been successful adaptations? I had never heard of it before, so I don't know. Yeah, two television film adaptations that were released. Uh, the PBS production, The Lathe of Heaven in 1980, and then The Lathe of Heaven 2002, a remake produced by the A&E Network. So, um it has been done. 2002 is interesting because that's, I think, the year that The Lathe of Heaven is supposed yeah, to early 2000s, have taken yeah. place, even though Ligon wrote it, wrote it in 1971. Um, but, like, I don't think either of these were that big productions. Um, oh, Lisa Bonet and James Kahn are in the 2002 version. Which here. one? James Kahn's uh, playing the bad one. He's got to, yeah, he's got to be Haber, right? Yeah. Oh, yes, he's William Haber. Um, Lucas Haas is. Oh, wow. Yeah. Lucas Haas is in this too. Maybe uh, that's a should... pretty stacked cast, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we should check this out. I don't know that it's going to have the budget that is required to bring this story right. accurately to life. That's why I feel like you need, like, the prestige TV era of just like dumping stupid money into the production budget mm. and not into fairly paying your talent uh, feels mm. like that's the era for the lathe of heaven. And uh, along those lines, check out Strike Up the Conversation <laughs> on yes. Post Show Recap. Yes, for sure. Okay, so we're going to talk about the book. We're going to spoil the bejesus out of the book. So if you didn't read the book, we're going to talk about the book uh, front to back. We'll explain it as best as we can. Uh, there's a lot going on in it. It is very trippy, very, very heady. Uh, and uh, I, I really thought very, very quite good. Um, but if you haven't read it and you want to read it, the review up, the, up off the top, I think is like worth reading. Very fast read. 184 pages on paperback. Really quick. <laughs> if I can do it. So can you uh, is my review. So if you want to check it out, go check it out. Uh, otherwise, if you have already read it or you're not planning on reading it, you can uh, continue onward with us um, before we even get into it. Let's just settle the, the, the let's let's set the table really quick. We always have the, the listeners vote on what we're going to podcast about next. I like to tell them early on in the podcast so mm. that they know what to expect and they have ample time to get into it. So for the month of October, we had decided upon spooky season, spooky season, uh, second chances for some of our previous picks for the media club that had not quite made it onto the podcast. It's zombie awesome. ideas. Yeah. <laughs> spooky. Very spooky. Um, and we have a winner and it was like a pretty decisive winner. It ended up being a pretty easy one for the listeners this time around. Uh, we had uh, the the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the Ben Stiller directed film. Did that anyone Amanda vote for it? Did has anyone? been championing for quite some time. <laughs> Any votes? Yeah, that was the second place. Oh, that was second place. So close. That was second place. Uh, Is this in second place? Um. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. 
Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. it was thank you. Place. Thank you, Walter Mitty heads out there. I appreciate it. So the Walter it. Mitty heads, mm -hmm. we appreciate you. Um, <laughs> I'll never watch that movie now, I think. Uh, <laughs> the world has uh, decided that you yeah. know, should not watch that. Film. Out of protest, I'll never watch mm -hmm. it. I'll never watch it. Or if I watch it, I'll never talk about it on a podcast. I'll wow. never tell you what I thought of it. I'll never even acknowledge that I saw it. I'll lie about it. <laughs> you say, did you watch? I'll say, no, but I did. And I'll not admit that I did. Uh, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It will be the secret <laughs> viewing of the, the secret, secret viewing of Josh Wiggler of Walter <laughs> Mitty. Um, I had put Silo out there, which uh, Amanda and Mike Bloom had previously podcasted about the Apple TV Plus show Silo. That didn't do it. Last place. No one wow. wanted to hear anything more about Silo. Well, the summer of Silo is over. My theory on that is that Mike and I discussed everything that there is to discuss about Silo. In fact, we even recorded one of those podcasts twice because it got deleted so no. i think that we so thoroughly covered the topic and everybody who listened was a hundred percent satisfied with the content delivered yes. and so there was no need to no put notes. more silo content out into the world yeah melissa i'm never gonna watch silo either yeah i mean i don't think i will either uh the people have spoken clearly and i'll just listen yeah. to the podcast at some point yeah. probably with that silo and shrinking <laughs> yeah there's only Silo enough room. I'm out. There's yeah. only enough room for so many S shows <laughs> in any one human's mind. All of the S show Apple TV Plus shows, I'm out on now. Um, that's it. None of them. I missed my chance for Schmigadoon, and mm. now I've missed my chance for Silo. Melissa, your pick scored fifty percent of the wow. poll. Amanda and I had to dig up the the leftovers as well as a write in for the prisoner. People wanted us to talk about the prisoner. Oh, that is a good write-in. Could have been fun. Very, yeah, was, very good write-in. There was a write-in for the prisoner. We um, Melissa's are the voice of the people, as they say. Melissa's <laughs> are the voice of the people. They also say Melissa's are maniacs. Uh, <laughs> is another thing that I have heard, yeah. and so it sh so it shall be. Netflix's maniac, uh, a single season of television on Netflix, maniac is what we are going to be watching for the month of October. Are you excited? Yeah. I. Uh, it was one of those ones where I was like, oh, I haven't watched this, but this sounds really interesting. So I'm excited to get the chance because, as we all know, uh, I can't watch TV unless I'm talking about it. So I'm very excited to get the chance <laughs> to watch the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I blitzed through it um, when it aired on Netflix. Uh, my husband and I watched it. We both really, really liked it. Um, but I feel like it's definitely one I would look forward to revisiting and giving like a more thoughtful look and some discussion to. Yeah. Uh, the uh, My biggest memories of it, I think I said the Justin Thoreau intro scene is quite memorable. And I think the thing that I left out is uh, my favorite quote from Maniac. Uh, that has still lived with me ever since watching it, which was, I'm a bird. I'm a bird, Annie. Uh, and so we'll explain, we'll explore that. We'll explore what that's all about because this is a very weird show with a couple of really weird moments uh, and like a surrealist dreamlike quality, not uh, too dissimilar from The Lathe of Heaven. Yeah, I'm realizing a thread in, uh, you know, we're watching some, we're talking about some trippy stuff on this podcast, yeah. guys. Yeah. 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 I, um, the back of my book mentions that, um, Ursula Le Guin won the Kafka Prize. And I was like searching through Wikipedia trying to figure out what she won it for because it doesn't, I don't think it's this book, but mm. this feels very Kafka esque, uh, mm. for sure. Like having, um, like very metamorphosis vibes, I think, with the kind of ever shifting descriptions and uncertainty of reality and, and some of that. So, um, yeah, I was like sort of trying to find if this was what she had won that for, but I can't really find it. Um, but yeah, that I, I saw that and that kind of stood out to me as I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good that's the comparison my brain has been trying to connect to the last well, little while while reading it. It's like I, the it yeah. the whole book reads like uh, the Willy Wonka tunnel uh, mm -hmm. when like you get stuck in the tunnel and you think that you're kind of just going for a boat ride and then like Slugworth is being eaten by bees or whatever. Uh, like that <laughs> really feels like uh, 
even the metaphor of Slugworth is trying to steal uh, the everlasting gobstopper kind of feels like that maps a bit onto what Dr. Haber is going to be trying to do to the protagonist of this book. He's trying to steal uh, something even more precious than candy. Yeah, yeah. The um, yeah. I mean, it's like how? So, what should we set up here? Do we should we do a basic plot synopsis <laughs> to the extent that one is even possible? Let's do a basic plot synopsis to the extent that one is <laughs> even possible. Do you feel up to the task? Are you volunteering? I, I'll give it. I'll give it. A, I'll give it a try. Okay, and I and try. I and I invite. I and invite if you don't do a good job, then a little Melissa, help you from can, my friends. Melissa, you can do it. And then Melissa, if yours isn't so good, maybe I can try and dream another reality where we wow. nailed it. Wow, mm-hmm. I think that sounds like a plan. Okay, so um, the lathe of heaven follows protagonist George Orr, who is a mentally troubled Oregonian in the year 2002, who has been mandated to psychological treatment because he's in trouble for basically using other people's prescription cards to get drugs that he's taking to self-medicate himself. So he agrees to go to this mandated or it's, I guess it's voluntary treatment, but it helps him avoid prosecution. Yeah. The option is like he goes or he goes to prison. Right. But they still call it voluntary for some reason. Um, So it's got like that kind of 1984 vibes to it. Um, But he, he goes to see this psychiatrist who is the other main character, Dr. Haber. And we learn that, or was self-medicating because he's like very, very troubled by the fact that sometimes he has dreams and then they actually change reality. And he has a story from the past where he killed an ant that made him uncomfortable. And so um, that was a big bummer. But um, or is not just a psychiatrist. He's also like this sleep researcher who's developed this equipment that can induce dream sleep in a subject. And so he kind of becomes like curious about or about or as a test subject, but also seems to kind of want to help him. And through this experience of using this augmenter, which is his like special dream machine, um, he he experiences that or is having these effective dreams, as they call them, the dreams of change reality. Um, And then over time. Haber starts to use or as a vehicle, like by giving him hypnotic suggestions to change reality. And Haber like think like in ways that Haber thinks are either like good for the society or things that like personally enrich him. Like he has Haber, he has a, or make him like the head of an Institute with like a fancy office and government um, funding. And he makes him more prestigious than he is. He uh, cures overpopulation by like creating a plague that had happened in the past. He does all of these things like through using Orr's dreams to change reality in ways that he like are supposed to stop war and curb pollution and solve problems of overpopulation. But every time he does one of these things, there's like some crazy unintended consequence that Haber seems almost entirely unbothered by or like not concerned that he should stop doing this like he keeps on trying to fix it with Orr's dreams or hates it he doesn't like it he wants it to stop but, but he's like a real share. shy boy i feel like or so is. shy like, he's, or, such like mm-hmm. a, he's such a poor sweet little he keeps like, being like yeah. i don't like i don't like what he's doing with my dreams but like I'm, I'll I'll go back on Tuesday. I don't want to tell him. Well, I think he feels really trapped, right? Because if he doesn't go to this therapy, then he goes to jail as well. So he's like, well, Bad I choice. guess I got to keep going and got to yeah. keep doing it. He, yeah, he's very he like also, passive about the whole thing. He really wants it to st- like the dreams to stop. And he like is kind of gullible. Like he's kind of too trusting to Haber. Mm-hmm. An but, innocent. Like, yeah. So, I mean, like that's the basic premise. But then the dream world like starts changing reality in like really dramatic ways. Like there's aliens that are attacking earth and then the aliens actually become peaceful aliens. And like everybody becomes the same gray race and that cures racism. Mm -hmm. And then like the aliens like integrate with human society and they're like super, super Zen 
<laughs> um, they and get then- rid of cancer, but as such, like because anybody who is genetically a threat to like pass along cancer or disease, it's now legal to like citizens arrest them and then euthanize them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that's cool. So everything yeah. is like very like fascist authoritarian. I feel like in Haber's like Haber's like solutions are sort of like that. Um, and, and it's also like kind of imperfectly projected through Orr's mind. So lots of wild stuff there. And then it ends like with this kind of like total meshing of like reality, like everything getting all jumbled up. And then Haber's tries to effective dream himself and he goes crazy, but maybe at the end or has a girlfriend and a job with a nice alien. (laughs) He goes on a coffee date at least. Yeah. 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 Is, that, is that roughly, roughly pretty good? Sort of what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you got it on the first try. Nice. That's, that's the book, basically. Mm-hmm. There's a lot it's- of like additional jargon and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like the fact that he, he dreams, he dreams things into existence and then is kind of hurriedly asked to like, dream them out of existence basically like he dreams these problems into existence and then dr haber will tell him no that's not what i meant so could you dream it differently but then the way in which or will dream it differently just creates all of these new like cascading problems so it's just like there's not really he says at one point um uh, like i don't follow you like i like you don't understand i'm not following the dreams i'm not following you and it's kind of left ambiguous but like you can't direct the power that or possesses and i think the book really does come across as this major cautionary tale of uh you know what happens when you try to interfere with reality which does feel way too on the on the vein uh to to our current culture for sure uh really prophetic i think of a lot of the issues that we're dealing with culturally uh these days in this i think really often quite whimsically uh written prose that can be like like my eyes glazed over for a lot of it because there are these humongous paragraphs of just jargon that I'm not used to. And I don't know how much mm-hmm. of it's being invented for the book versus it's real. I was very excited to, yeah. that I got to, I'll get to talk about this with the two of you. Cause I hope it made more sense to you than it made to me. Uh, but it would like my eyes would glaze over in sort of this delightful way, because mm-hmm. like in like the recitation of all of the jargon, you are like palpably feeling a man's God complex popping off the page. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think like there's like three central characters, and I think that they're really vividly written. I think, um, yeah, I thought I thought that was a, a really breezy read, while also like while being weird, feeling like really dangerous in a way that was kind of um, exciting and very on brand with Severance. I think that there are mm-hmm. actually like a lot of really good parallels to Severance. Melissa, did you enjoy it? Did you like the book? Yeah, I thought it was great. I um, it was really. Interesting. I still have questions. Like I don't, uh, we were talking before the podcast. I like didn't know what a lathe was off the top of my head. Um, It turns out it's in reference to um, writing by uh, Zhang Zhao, I think is. uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, So it's like a reference there, but um, yeah. It's, and I, I had a question where they were talking about, uh, they make reference a couple times to like what happened in April and then it was like it sort of felt like the end was kind of implying that that had maybe been some like cyclical mm. stuff all of those realities kind of colliding so that was a bit I, I, I felt a bit sometimes I felt a bit too stupid for this book um, but it was certainly like at other times really really interesting and very yeah. thought-provoking um, so yeah, no, I, I think, like, definitely enjoyed it overall. I think it's the kind of book that, like, you know, I would I would argue that you're not too stupid for this book, Dr. Melissa. But I think it's the type <laughs> of book, it's the type of book that you could read over and over again and like find different things in because I think that it it has so much packed in it. Um you're one right chapter that- every month 
for one a child, year. Maybe well, hey, if this uh, writer is in the, the Hollywood strikes, he's going. Yeah. But um, yeah, the the title is from the writings of Zheng Zhao, and um, Le Guin was really interested in Taoism. And it's interesting that Lathe of Heaven is actually a mistranslation. It turns out um, that, like, I saw some uh, writing that Lathe's don't didn't exist in China at that time. So while it's like a, it's been called a lovely but mistranslation, <laughs> um, so uh, but it's it it, it it is extremely evocative, and it comes like from the quote um, to. Let understanding stop at what cannot be understood is a high attainment. Those who cannot do it will be destroyed on the lathe of heaven. And I think that the idea is that um, what Haber represents is this character who, like I said, has this like paternalistic authoritarianism that wants to control everything and has such supreme faith in his abilities to do that like if he could remake something in his in his uniform vision that it would be an improvement and that that very belief is this like fool's errand and that you know what or represents as somebody who's like much more like gullible like the there's jellyfish imagery in the very beginning of uh of the of the novel where like you know he, he like a jellyfish just kind of being tossed around in the waves and like so or is somebody who completely submits to his surroundings whereas Haber is somebody who tries to completely craft his surroundings and I think the Taoism is much more uh you know preaches this idea of um kind of being yielding and uh and 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 finding harmony in your, in, you know, in finding harmony, Cabell, mm -hmm. in your, in, in your environment. So, um, you know, there's definitely, I think a lot of themes there and that whole Eastern versus Western philosophy, um, I think is definitely one of the yeah. heavy themes in the, in the book. Yeah. Like the first thing that you read in the book is a Shangze quote, which is Confucius and you are both dreams. And I who say you are dreams am a dream myself. This is a paradox tomorrow. A wise man may explain it. That tomorrow will not be for 10,000 generations. Uh, and like, Gosh, that like it's certainly like if someone's going to if a wise person's going to come along to explain it, I don't know that it happens at the end of 184 pages. Um, <laughs> but I think like whether or not you can like explain all of, like the, the ins and outs and details of the thing, I think so many of the themes are very pronounced. And this mm -hmm. idea of um, inflicting your will upon everybody. Uh, is like really like mm -hmm. inflicting your your very very good idea on the world and the idea of like the super genius the the Lex Luthor the Keir Egan's of right. the world uh, having this uh, groundbreaking technological idea of how the world should be and everybody suffering for it uh, a big part of why Severance is so relevant is that that's just way too real here over here <laughs> in this in this reality and i think like that is such an important part uh of this book of like one guy's idea of like oh well racism is a huge problem we'll just like get rid of all the races so everyone will just be like one thing and that'll yeah. do it and like or has this moment where he realizes like the love of his life doesn't exist anymore because right. uh, she was like she has a black father and a white mother and he's like these identities are central to her existence. You didn't solve anything. You just completely erased this person. Uh, and there's just so many fascinating backs and forths about that. And I think like even sort of like the gentle nature of Orr uh, and what it takes for him to kind of forcefully push back eventually feels very metaphorical uh, with how some of our problems get solved or don't get solved. Um, so it's, it, it, it's really rich. I do think like there is, there are so many details just within the, Within the span of a paragraph, entire realities change. Uh, like this, it's a very hard book that, like, if you're skimming around, you you could miss pivotal, pivotal stuff. Like literally, like Mount Hood. By the way, Melissa, did you know that you were so close to the capital of the of the world? Yeah, the capital of the universe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I know. Yeah, the fact that this whole book kind of takes place on the West Coast. I was like, oh, this is very little. Like, at one point, they're talking about Rainier. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I know that mountain. <laughs> it is, like, not that far from where I live. Um, yeah. yeah, and apparently some, like, potential volcanic activity. Which yeah. Is which is, like, true of several mountains around here, I guess. But, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think that there's just there's a lot there's a lot of really compelling ideas about like even just within the space of reading it. Like I think like the the reading of the book is a really fun exercise in paying attention to detail. Uh, so like I think that that's such a thing that is so mm -hmm. rewarding about a show like Severance is just like leaning in and trying to figure out what does every single little piece mean. Uh, and I think in here there's like it's the second chapter where he goes to Dr. Haber for the first time. And in that first paragraph, they talk about the painting in yeah. Dr. Haber's office. Um, and then midway through that chapter uh, or dreams it out of existence effectively. And Dr. Haber is like, wait, that wasn't what it was. And you go back to the start of the chapter and it's absolutely what it was. And so there's just a lot of rereadability, I think to yeah. it. Um, yeah, it's, I thought it was actually kind of fantastic. I really yeah, it, it was really, and I think that that experience as the reader is like because of the the style of the narration and the prose. It's like you also experience like the disorientation that you know, or and Haber are you know where you're trying to figure out. Wait, wait, was it a horse at the beginning of the chapter? No, 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 it definitely was a mountain, and it's like that's exactly the experience that these characters are having, and like to speak to some of the parallels with severance that I, you know, thought were really powerful. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about how, you know, different themes in this might intersect with actual uh, psychology and neuroscience. But um, one thing that the book plays quite a bit on is this idea that, um, you know, that you would question your experience of reality if the people around you did not also reinforce that, right? And like we see this in social psychology experiments where people will actually mm -hmm. report something that's contradictory to what they had experienced because they don't want to seem out of line with the people that are around them. So social groups, like you can, you can take a, a, a study and you can ask somebody, to rate or classify something alone and they'll do it faithfully. But then if you put them in a group of Confederates of the experimenter who all give the wrong answer, then they'll change their answer to line up to what is true of the group. And we see that um, Haber behaves as though George's reality isn't changing a few times. And then later when Heather Lalash is also in uh, the session with both of them, she experiences the change of reality and initially sort of denies it and goes along with Haber to pretend as though nothing is happening. And I think that it's this kind of question that was really interesting to scientists and also, you know, artists and authors, uh, you know, in the wake of World War II is like, what is the strength of personality that would cause somebody to actually, you know, not go along with a consensus if they felt like there was a problem and or is like this man who is you know as we said in a lot of ways very gentle and meek and unassuming and doesn't have a lot of confidence in himself and i think that mark is also one of these characters who is yeah. maybe not a natural leader doesn't have that kind of strength and conviction but through his experiences eventually does strike out and make uh you know his own uh, his own strong decision that bucks against um, what he's been told. So I thought that that kind of coercive control was, was really interesting. Yeah. We've talked about the Milgram experiments before as well on this podcast, right? So this, these are the ones where um, people thought that they were shocking someone um, because someone in a lab coat was basically telling them to do so. And they could hear the person in the other room, uh, reacting and, you know, the person in the other room turned out to be a confederate of the uh, experiment. So they were not actually being shocked, but it's basically like, how far will someone go because a person of authority is telling them to do so. Right. And so Haber definitely does this sort of like invoking his authority and, and particularly like gives himself more authority as he goes through with the dreaming. 
and and very much like appeals to like well i'm the head of this institute that i made up and therefore i should have control over this situation and all of this stuff so um yeah i think that there's like some kind of interesting psychological uh pieces of this book um i also just find the like sort of playing with the unreliable narrator idea of the fact that it's not even his like his recollection is real but it's not like the current reality anymore it's like no longer reliable because he's been um because he's changed it and so it's this interesting dynamic and then i, I thought the conversation that at one point happens when uh when heather lalash is like i was almost convinced that nothing had happened but mm -hmm. I saw it and I keep walking to places that like don't exist anymore. Like there's a part of me that remembers this, even though my brain has like started to fool me that maybe that never happened. This has always been, been true, but there's still some like memory within me that like tries to walk down a staircase that isn't there anymore. And um, I thought that that was interesting. Her kind of experience of like, yeah, it nearly worked. I nearly went along with it even though i witnessed it with my own eyes just because he was so convinced and like the uh explanation for this is too outrageous but yeah i think that the episode of severance that corresponds with this episode of the podcast which i know theoretically we're supposed to talk about uh and it's the it's the uh it's the music uh dance experience yes Defiant Jazz. It's such a good episode, too. It's, yeah, it's a it's a phenomenal episode. And if we don't do it justice today, don't worry. It seems like we'll probably still be talking about Severance <laughs> season one for a while. So I'm sure we'll get back to it. Um, but I did watch it ahead of doing the podcast today, and there there were a couple of ways in which it felt actually like a really resonant episode alongside this one especially because like a lot of a lot of breaking points are reached mm -hmm. in this episode mm -hmm. of severance like mark is already kind of ready to start you know like heli is sort of the is the first uh like domino to fall or the one who kind of like pushes the dominoes and then mark is starting to sort of go along with it you know possessing the book but we're on the other side of dylan uh finding out that he has a child outside of this and so his faith is totally shaken he goes off, he bites Milchik in the shoulder in, in this episode. And like, I don't think Orr ever quite gets that level with Haber, but maybe uh, does things that are probably more lasting than a bite on the shoulder. Um, mm -hmm. But he doesn't quite go off or explode in that same way. But this, this episode of Severance is the one where uh, it ends with, well, it doesn't quite end with Irving's big moment of um, let's burn this place to the ground. Yeah. But even he gets there too. And so I felt like a lot of, um, it, I watched the episode right after I finished sort of the final movement of this book, which does have like a decent amount of defiant jazz quality oh, yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And like the reality you're left with at the end of this book is this really discordant thing um, mm -hmm. where they're talking about like subway trains that don't have trains, uh, you know, like uh, the train goes from like the bus station to the middle of the mountain or whatever. And it's just like not a place that makes any kind of sense, this new reality that you're left with at the end of the book. And yet I think it's also sort of gesturing at this idea of like holding various realities as true at once is sort of an exercise in empathy and like understanding that someone else's truth may not be your truth while simultaneously there does have to be an actual reality that binds it all together uh so i i thought that that was riveting i thought that that was really riveting and i thought that this episode of severance actually plays really really it, it pairs really well uh with this book it's the reintegration of realities, right? It's uh, everything Ragavi's up to. <laughs> totally, yeah. Totally. I mean, like, the, really, the one that this book feels the most like is like Petey's Day Out. Petey's Day Out, know? exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's um, 
I mean, I think it definitely highlights just what that that tension is and that like to exist in that world where you're holding the multiple realities, it's almost like George Orr is kind of uniquely suited to do that because he is so flexible and mild and agreeable, whereas somebody like Haber, who is um, forceful. you know, much more controlled and forceful, is going to buckle under the weight of that. Um, you know, definitely one of the themes that is also um, adjacent to severance is this idea that this kind of benevolent paternalism will like, you know, inevitably corrupt, right? Like that, you know, this is what cure and, uh, you know, this is what that the philosophy of 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 the world and severance and um lumen and cure is you know no matter what it started as if it did have some sort of um benevolent purpose in mind it certainly has turned into something very different um i was really really fascinated by how in you know 1971 how prescient this book was mm -hmm. about some of the environmental concerns social concerns like it felt like there were a couple of times where I just was like double checking the publication date because I was like wait was this written in 2002 because I thought that some of the themes are, are things that like really play today talking about, I mean, a plague that wipes out, you know, a large part of the US of the uh, world population, um, all of the environmental mismanagement, global warming gets discussed multiple times, um, you know, war, you know, which I know was very much on the minds of people in 1971 after, you know, Vietnam and Korean conflicts, but like still just this, I, and, and being part in the cold war, but just like the fact that we're still in like these never ending conflicts. Um, it was just really striking to me how I thought that a lot of these themes were really felt just as vital and relevant today. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit wild. I, uh, I, it's clearly like, okay, so these issues have been, it, it's sort of how inevitably, like, at some point in the last 50 years, like, you know, would have been cool if we could have, <laughs> clearly uh -huh. this was, it was all, the writing was on the wall and uh -huh. uh, we just had a book. Yeah. Marching, marching down that path. And that's, uh, you know, something to think about, I guess, but <laughs> that's depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. There's lots of, um, yeah, I think that the idea here of um, looking at problems in the world and coming up with solutions that actually cause more problems is like also mm -hmm. kind of an interesting comparison with severance, right? Where it's like the answer to work-life balance is, you know, you just like have two separate realities, right? It's like, no, 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 that doesn't actually like address the root of, of the issue. And it's, um, yeah, it is interesting that it's like, feels like the human way of like, well, if we just invent some new technology that addresses the issue, then that's fine. Rather than like actually trying to, solve the issue itself mm -hmm. um yeah there's certainly that just seems very inherent to like humanity at this point so i'm not surprised that we're doing the same thing 50 years later was there anything in here as far as like the science of of mapping like Ooh, the brain and yeah. the dreams and anything mm -hmm. in here that that felt like really good work on the part of the author the obviously like dreaming different yeah. realities into existence is probably not <laughs> happening but maybe who knows um science of sleep is one of my favorite movies also but um yeah melissa how did how did ursula do with the cognitive neuroscience of sleep i mean the, it, there's some pretty good stuff going on we've talked about sleep before because there was some of the um the stuff going on with irving in severance i think mm -hmm. was sort of part of why we brought it up before but yeah it was very funny when he start uh when she started to describe the like the machine and the mapping of the brain waves and stuff i was like oh that's that's all real like that's we do that yeah. this is an eeg like i have a buddy whose entire uh like grad school research was on eeg brain waves and and whatnot i will say the like specific like 
with D waves, we can induce dream sleep. Like none, none of that is really uh, real, but it was really interesting to, um, yeah, this idea of like mapping the different like peaks and patterns and stuff and, and individual variation in that and uh, potentially the man- manipulation of brainwaves through external stimuli. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of um, kind of biofeedback therapy is mm-hmm. a little bit used now and kind of continuing to be developed for treatment yeah. of things like depression and stuff like that. So um, there's some of this stuff that is like, it's pretty good. It's it's certainly good enough that like I didn't read this and be like, oh man, look at this science mumbo jumbo that's being thrown around. Like I, she clearly did some research in writing this, and so I, it, to me, it, it walks that line that Severance does, where it's like, you know, the technology here specifically isn't currently possible, but the foundation of what it's based in is accurate enough that I'm like. You know what? I could see it. So yeah, I yeah. Think it did a really good job, actually. Yeah, no, it it gets a lot right. I mean, the fact that we have these different stages of sleep that can be detected using um, an electrocephalogram, like that is absolutely true. The fact that we sleep in a certain um, that we dream in a certain one of those states. A lot of the stuff that Haber says about how REM sleep is more similar to wakefulness in terms of brain activity than it is other sleep stages is true. There's some like lovely little jargon thrown in there about sleep spindles and all of that. So I was Mm -hmm. like largely very impressed. And then as Melissa said, there are like the increasing uses of different um, stimulation techniques like transcranial direct current stimulation or transcranial magnetic uh, stimulation that actually do change your brain waves, not in the way that they can do what uh, Haber's augmenter does, but they're being used therapeutically. They're being used in a lot of different contexts. So um, this was, you know, well-researched and well done. Um, At one point, Haber says that um, there's this um, consequence that's like of of hypernitremia, um, that is, if you don't dream, you can go into a comatose locked. He, he said something was in effect mm-hmm. of not dreaming and that's not true. Um, so that was wrong. Yeah. There's nothing, there's no, um, like it's cool to not dream. You're fine. It's no, it's totally cool to not dream. You won't die. You can do yeah. it. Um, but, um, yeah, but I, think, I, don't... I think the idea though, is that like, we don't really know what dreaming does, which is, mm-hmm. I still think is also quite interesting. So there's sort of this theory that dreams are your brain we've talked about this before of like a lot of what happens throughout your day your brain stores as working memory this like kind of more short term type of memory that you have so that you remember like oh yeah this is what I had for breakfast this morning and then like when you sleep and dream your brain is sort of like sorting through that information is like okay we're gonna keep this stuff that really matters and we're gonna get rid of some of the stuff that doesn't matter so like six days from now you won't remember what you had for breakfast on tuesday morning um because you didn't need to remember that but you'll remember if you had like some really big emotional fight with your sibling or something right because that was important and so your brain held on to that so eating my tuesday for filth right now (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, But I, uh, but yeah, so it's interesting because we don't really understand why we dream. And I think that there's a lot of thought that like you probably are dreaming a lot more than you realize Mm -hmm. that you are. You usually just don't remember them, right? If there isn't some sort of kind of emotional thing or if you don't happen to wake up at a certain stage in your dream, in your sleep cycle, Um, you probably just dream and forget about it and don't remember it when you wake up. But yeah, so I I think that there's lots of questions still around like the purpose of dreaming and its utility. So, but yeah, there's not necessarily some like, oh, if you could like stop dreaming altogether, what would the long-term impacts of that? I'm not sure that we like, that we know. I don't think we know. And I, and it, because there's no way, there's no way to like achieve that. Um, but I think that I, at one point I messaged you guys, cause I was like, you know, in the first through the first third of the book. And I was like, oh man, this is hitting a little bit close to home. And it was like this, you know, this idea of, of Haber as this, you know, 
clinical psychology researcher, which I can relate to, who's like fascinated by his subject. And you sh and he shares this excitement, like this enthusiasm about sleep. And Melissa, you know, you're just talking about it, how there's so much we don't know about the function of sleep and what that state means psychologically and cognitively. And, you know, that he's in this in this kind of dual role of providing treatment to or but also seeing him as you know what kind of data can he provide to me for my scientific purposes which are both you know i think um you know laudable purposes of having a better understanding of the brain but also very uh selfish and self uh fulfilling purposes of 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 furthering his own career and i was just like you know kind of highlighting what some of the ethical uh, some of the ethical quandaries of clinical research more generally. And like, I think that the the book also tackles what are some of these ethical quandaries of, um, you know, of government intervention into the like, you know, government mandated treatments and all of these different levels. So I thought that the book was, um, you know, kind of fascinating about what are the ethics, bioethics of creating uh, different devices or technologies that can have an influence on the human mind and also how they're applied therapeutically or for research purposes. Um, so I thought that that was, that was really fascinating and is always, I think, an interesting area of science fiction and something that we talk about in Severance, like, right, what are the ethic, what are the ethics of inventing something uh, like the like the severance procedure and, um, you know, what would that mean if it, that got into government hands or military hands or started to be used uh, by a corporation like Lumen? Yeah. How about the hypnosis that's really prevalent in in the book? Did that feel like that was that was drawn correctly or can you really hypnotize me by grabbing me by the throat? I really hope not. <laughs> I mean, there is like hypnotism is a funny thing and it makes sense that this book came out in the 1970s because that was a time when like hypnotherapy was like much more in vogue and like probably just also confronting the ethics of of hypnotherapy and hypnosis in general like people were really fascinated by it and i know that there is evidence that hypnotic suggestion has helped cure people of addictions and other behaviors um undesirable behaviors. Um, but um, I don't know exactly like what the methods of hypnosis are. I know that hypnosis is not effective for everybody. There's lots of people who can't be hypnotized. Um, so I don't know, Melissa, do you know very much about hypnosis? Yeah, not really. I think it's one of those things that definitely like is of the era. And I think nowadays is certainly less so, although, um, yeah, Bunch there's hypnotists to... rage quitting the podcast right now. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sort of looking yeah, it's, it's really interesting. There's like a whole susceptibility scale basically used yeah. to assess people are like going to be able to be hypnotized, um, which is really interesting. And like the ability to, um, yeah, like kind of access that unconscious state, um, which is really interesting. But I don't know how, like, yeah, the whole, like, um, I can't remember exactly how they put it, right? But the um, the induction of it through, like, mm -hmm. the throat or that whole, yeah. like, I don't, maybe there's some basis in it of the time, but it's certainly how, not how hypnotic. I feel hypnosis like there's, but there's like, there's nothing that's like that, like physiological that they do to hip the hip. Like it's, isn't it like all, like if I tell you that when I touch your throat, you're going to be hypnotized. If you're very susceptible, then you will. Like, I feel like it's very, mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, who, who do we think on this podcast, uh, could Me. be hypnotized? <laughs> that's very kind of you to like ask, but we know the answer. <laughs> Like, really, really kind of you, but, like, yeah. clearly, like, I'm the one who gets hypnotized. My life is shattered as a result. Oh, no, John. I think about it for months and months, mm -hmm. and the months go on to be years. People hypnotize you into <laughs> committing to record more podcasts. Yeah. yeah. I think it's not impossible that I've been hypnotized. Uh, yeah. And, like, uh, like, part of the hypnosis was I wasn't uh, to remember it, mm -hmm. that it happened. Oh, yeah. It would explain so, so much. 
there there is some research around like changing of brain waves when someone is in a hypnotic state like that is all um show different patterns of EEG activity depending on the task being experienced, like enhanced theta waves observed during hypnosis, which by the way, are the waves that actually happen when you dream, not uh, D like D I'm assuming here, they use D waves as like dream waves, but really they would be Delta waves um, because they're all named after Greek letters. It's actually theta waves. So that was like a very minor thing in my brain that I was like, I don't think that's right. Um, But yeah, so enhanced theta waves observed during hypnosis um, so there's like some interesting, again, like basis in reality here that I think is, I should not be overstated, but there's definitely like some literary license being it's a science allowed book. for sure when yeah. you're telling, yeah. when you're telling the book, but it is, um, I do just, I really enjoy when someone writes a brain book and they've really, they've actually read a thing or two about brains. Like that's always very fun. Um, so it certainly yeah, makes me more likely to enjoy it. One of the things I really actually loved about how how much jargon is in here, which it's really exciting to hear that a lot of it feels well-researched, mm-hmm. but the way that it's it's um, utilized, I was going to say weaponized, which actually maybe it's weaponized mm-hmm. in this book, yeah. uh, feels very real as well. And there's sort of like, there's like the Harold Hill con man quality to Dr. Haber. They literally talk about snake oil uh, mm-hmm. in here. Mm-hmm. Like he's like a snake oil salesman. Uh, and there's um, there's like this, there's the, the these huge paragraphs that take up like the entirety of a whole page that are just like loaded with the EEG machine and this and the, that. And like George Orr has no idea what he's being told he has like absolutely no idea of being told so like i feel like george in that moment and i feel like it is so easy to be george in that moment of like somebody's coming along and like is going to guide you towards a nefarious purpose and just like talk 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 you into it with all this stuff that you can't quite understand and not really take the time to like break it down i feel like so much of haber's dialogue felt that way yeah um so i thought that that was like very very effective um, I yeah, guess like, like, the, like the car salesman, like dazzling yes. you with like all of these yes. details. And like he does it with, with, yeah, yes. he does it when Heather Lalash is in the, is in the office as well. It's like, I'm just going to throw out all this jargon and detail and you're just going to have to believe I'm confident. Um, I thought it was really great character. So loathsome, right. very good character. Oh yeah. Scum of the earth. Um, yes. But I, I thought that there was a great, like in the beginning when Orr first goes into his office, his original office, and he says that like, you know, when I first found out about this psychiatrist, I thought like he's an academic psychiatrist and he only takes a few patients. So I was like, okay, so he's kind of like exclusive and maybe he's prestigious, but his office like didn't look nice enough for him to be successful or like shitty enough for him yeah. to not care. It was like right in this middle. And it's like, and I do think a lot of it is... um you know, I think that this is interesting, too, from the perspective of, you know, uh, mental health providers. And, you know, in psychology, they talk about the therapeutic alliance and the idea of the couch. And, you know, and, and Hebrew talks about Freud and all of that. But like, the treatment starts when you walk into the to, into the office and you have some opinions about is this person competent? Are they successful? Are they smart? Are they presenting me with a treatment theory with a frame that that I find compelling and that like a lot of what Haber is doing he talks about like how he wanted his voice to sound warm but outgoing but also you know like it's it's all very very contrived and it's you know and you could say that it's in the name of him being an effective treater but it's also manipulation like these are all con techniques this is like he's a magician and he doesn't want to show you this but he wants you to see this instead yeah yeah um Great. I really liked the book. I thought I thought it was really good. I'm really glad we picked it. I'm really glad glad we uh we read it. Um I think when we were doing the media club and and starting to like kick around ideas for like what we would do, book club month was always on the list and always seemed very daunting. Uh mm-hmm. like, we did. We're yeah. so smart. It felt yeah, very we read books. Very daunting, but we read a book and we talked about it. I thought we had a very good discussion about it. Very I'm happy very, with the, I'm very with proud the, of us. The results. So <laughs> Yay, us. I'm glad we're in this reality where we read the thing. Um, go check it out if you haven't. Lace of Heaven, very, very, very good. Um, 
yeah, uh, wherever wherever you get your books. Yeah, uh, it would be local library. A, it would be a killer yeah. Apple TV Plus series. Like it would totally. be incredible. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of room for embellishment. Like yeah. there's so much like between the lines, the aliens on the moon, the alien. Yeah. There's this one scene where like Haber literally, I wish I had the sentence in front of me where like he was staring in the face of death. Like Haber is yeah. about to get just like radio waved out of existence by like some horrifying, like, like oblong like terrifying tentacle that like shatters through the room and is like creeping right up to him and or dreams just in time for the aliens to like be peaceful yeah. uh, and so like the thing like opens up its maw and it's just like this like friendly turtle alien that's like we come in peace. Huge misunderstanding. Didn't yeah. realize that you guys are like yeah. verbal communicators. Call We're the so president. Sorry. Like, tell him we didn't yeah. mean it. We didn't mean <laughs> it. But like the way that that scene is described, it's so cinematic. It's very, yeah. very, very good. Um, I would I would love to see a really well-made version of it. Maybe the Lucas Haas version is quite good. I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I might check it out. Go ahead. I cannot imagine that A&E had the budget for no. No, some of yeah, this stuff. Yeah. But, uh, Without no, I haven't seen it, so I don't want to misspeak. I don't want to misspeak. Um, okay, so any anything else on the book, Melissa, Amanda? Anything else that you've got before we punch out of here? Um, not much. I just thought that like the fact that there's like also a love story in this book was like somewhat surprising to me. Um, but I did really like some of that. Um, happening, and again, maybe sort of a um a bit of a parallel to severance yeah here, we, like in this episode find um you know mark's wife is miss casey this like searching for someone and like not them not being the person that you remember and and sort of how like the change in reality changes that dynamic of the relationship i think that like to me that line that you mentioned earlier of like the person i love can't exist in this world of gray was just yeah. like oof like that's i yeah. think that line is going to stick with me for a while yeah. right i thought yes. that, that was really cool and then at the very end where he's like this isn't the version of her that i love but like let's go for coffee and basically yeah. see how yeah, it's, it's very like out. it's very eternal sunshine of the spotless mind as well like it's like mm -hmm. you know this kind of like beautiful idea that like love could be something that like you know would um transcend sharing a conscious reality <laughs> like it's, it's i mean that's that's kind of a beautiful thing and i don't know maybe maybe it turns out that i like my love stories couched in a lot of like really dense heady science fiction and i just didn't know <laughs> yeah it's, it's good to find out you know mm -hmm. here along the way it's part <laughs> of what the severance media club is about will that trend continue oh next month when we watch maniac uh the netflix limited series maniac that's everyone's homework assignment watch it we're going to talk about it in its entirety and i think definitely there is commonalities at least between maniac and the lathe of heaven for sure uh mm -hmm. and i think it will apply well to severance as well so that's going to be next on the severance media club uh we like to tell you what's coming up on the month after that because often you mm -hmm. have to vote on what's coming up no vote for the one coming up after this but audience participation absolutely required it's a feedback special we're gonna do the feedback version of the severance media club all of your severance questions answered and specifically i'd like to put out the call for those big brain questions if you want to talk to the fancy brain doctors melissa and amanda and ask all the questions that you've ever had about how the brain works this is a great episode to do it. I'm going to prep some questions myself. Oh. I'm very excited for this one. You can go to postshowrecaps.com slash MDR to fill in uh, the feedback form with any questions that you have for the podcast. We actually already have like a pretty good stockpile of stuff. So it's going to be a fun oh, podcast nice. for sure. So uh, postshowrecaps.com slash MDR one more time if you want to contribute to the November feedback special after the October maniac edition of the severance media club um additionally by the time we meet next i think uh it's not just lessons in brain chemistry that we might get from uh the two of you in november but oh. actual lessons in chemistry 
from Apple TV Plus, a new TV show that is new TV in October. That's right. October 13th, Brie Larson's Lessons in Chemistry podcasts coming your way in the Apple TV Plus podcast feed from the great doctors, Amanda and Melissa. I'm very excited about this. Yeah, this is great. I can't, We're going to get back together, Melissa and I, uh, to cover a week-to-week show. I'm so excited. Um, when I looked at the description of this, this is um, set in the 1950s. Elizabeth Zott's dream of being a scientist is challenged by a society that says women belong in the domestic sphere. So she accepts a job on a TV cooking show and sets out to teach a nation of overlooked housewives way more than recipes. This is like right up my alley. This is right up Melissa's alley. I, you know, I saw this and just mentioned this to me. I said, did you have somebody else in mind? And she said, Melissa's in and I was like, woohoo! Like this is gonna yeah. be so much fun. It's gonna be cooking, it's gonna be science, it's gonna be feminism. Like I you know, do you think Zach Cherry's gonna be in it to host any of the cooking show? <laughs> I know you when you need Zach Cherry there to provide words of encouragement and to tell Brie Larson how much time she has left to finish the <laughs> yeah. recipe. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I'm you know, I'm all I'm gonna say is it's such a good thing that we're no longer living in a world where women are uh, experiencing difficulty pursuing scientific yeah. endeavors, right? Mm-hmm. At least that's all that. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Fix that. Solve that. We're all great. One now. problem down. Yeah. <laughs> a million more to go, but we got one. Yeah. No, Oof. no, we don't. <laughs> so we'll talk about it. I'm very excited. It'll be good. Uh... We'll make sure that, that at least that first episode is going to be here in the Severance feed as well. So you will know where to go beyond that. Uh, but if you, uh, if you enjoy, Melissa and Amanda talking about TV, Apple TV shows. Boy, we got one coming your way. Uh, so stay tuned to the Severance Media Club and the Severance Podcast feed for so much more. Uh, you can also just check out PushRecaps.com slash subscribe for everything that we've got going on on the network. Um, Amanda, what do you got going on? Where can people find you? Ooh, well, people can find me on X, where I am at, at Dr. Amanda R. That's Dr. Amanda R. And what I have going on is Strike Up the Conversation, the podcast bringing you weekly coverage of the Hollywood strikes on post-show recaps. Um, it's been really, honestly, it's been one of my favorite projects I've ever had the privilege to work on um, bringing uh, to light voices from the labor movement, voices from um, the guilds, uh, from from the diff- all the different professions that help bring us the television and film that we love so much. Um, so that's been fantastic. Um, just uh, my most recent conversation was with Bram from the Discord talking about animation and visual FX and all of the legions of workers that bring films like Across the Spider-Verse and so many other things, everything in the Marvel Universe, um, you know, more, you know, most live action that bring those those great products to life. So um, it's been really great having those conversations. I appreciate people checking that out. Amazing. Melissa, Doctor Who? Doctor Who is happening. Uh, You can actually subscribe to the Doctor Who feed. Search Doctor Who post-show recaps on your podcatcher of choice so that you don't miss an episode. We are in the best era of Doctor Who right now. It is my favorite. We just covered the time of Angels starring the incomparable Alex Kingston as River Song. This woman is my everything. And being accompanied by Matt Smith and uh, Karen Gillian, it's just a truly dynamic cast right now bringing some really incredible writing. The music is on point. Like It's just Doctor Who being its absolute best right now and so if you're not following along uh jump in with us it's a really great time we're not too far into it at this point i highly encourage it um it is just yeah some of the best uh doctor who has to offer right now which is very exciting so yeah that's uh it and then coming up with more more stuff so more stuff more stuff if you like more stuff Postshow Recaps has it for you. Postshowrecaps.com slash subscribe. Take a look around. See what you like. Hit subscribe. Listen to the stuff. We've got more stuff for you. We've got more Severance Media Club for you. 
some maniac content coming your way next month on the Severance Media Club. Till then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye.